one of the family. The family. Dogs are a part of it and at the very heart of it. Nikki Campbell explores this wonderful world with the help of special guests and some other family members. Welcome to One of the Family and on this episode, a national treasure, Chris Packham. One man and his dogs. With Itch and Scratch, we were like a trinity. Um, You know, we were stronger together. We were happier together. You know, we were more functional when we were together. And that beautiful feeling we know so well. We were in the middle of nowhere, there was no one else there. And the three of us were happy. Can't beat that. Isn't that lovely? You can't miss this. The extraordinary Mr Packham. I loved talking to Chris. He's absolutely fascinating. First, though, let's hear some people talking about him. Some other fighters for nature from the human family of animal lovers. Annika Svenska, Dom Dyer, Peter Egan, Will Travers, Virginia McKenna, and first of all, Deborah Meaden. Chris Packham, all over animal welfare and environmental issues. And whether you agree with him or you don't agree with him, he is always somebody worth listening to. Generally, I agree with him. He's on the front line of every single bird demo and his brain, oh my gosh, is an encyclopedia. Chris Packham's a tireless and dedicated campaigner who's willing to stand up and be counted when it really matters. From fighting against wildlife crime on shooting estates to speaking out against the cruel insanity of the badger cull, his care and compassion for wildlife and the future of this beautiful planet is an inspiration to millions of people at home and abroad. We need more like him. Hi everyone, I think Chris Packham is brilliant. He makes us care, he makes us listen. Chris, I'm honoured to know you. The natural world is fighting for its very survival. The thin green line is perilously thin. We need leaders, voices, champions. Few are willing to risk themselves, their reputation, their integrity, like Chris Packham. He's a force of nature. He's a force for nature. Virginia McKenna, OBE. And Chris, he loves his dogs. That's what it's all about. So, dogs are humans. I mean, I have some fulfilling and have had some fulfilling human relationships. There's no doubt about that. But I, are they and have they been as intense as those relationships that I've had with other animals? I mean, people like myself, I have Asperger's syndrome as it was known it's been it's been declassified now in, in on that autistic spectrum um there's no gray in my world there is only black and white you know and as a consequence of that you know i either love something or i very much don't love it and i can't i can't half do anything because that's gray so i can only wholly do something which is black or white so when i commit my emotional investment it's a hundred percent now, the difference is when I've committed my emotional investment with other species, I've, I've had a 100% return. I can't put hand on heart and say that I've had a 100% return from all of those human relationships that I've tried to, to invest maximally in. I'm not saying that they were, um, that they were in any way, I don't know, uh, 
it's striking a contrast between them and those relationships that you have with other species of animals is not something that's easy to do and it's certainly not easy to verbalize because people will judge you inappropriately um but but there is no doubt at all that my passion for those other animals has been incredibly intense because i think of their um total commitment and that total return of of love and a, and a desire to make sure that they live long and healthy and happy lives, you know, all of the time. And there was nothing that I wouldn't do for them in order to satisfy those requirements. Not, nothing at all. I used to joke, you know, throw myself in front of a train for those for those dogs. Um, and I and I did financially, and I did in terms of my time commitment uh, and everything else. You know, I would move heaven and earth to, to make sure that they were happy on a daily basis. And that's enormously rewarding. You know, the joy that they brought me, I called them my joy grenades, itchy and scratchy, because every time I took them out and I let them off their leads, they just exploded with a desire to, to, to revel in, in the world. You know, and sometimes when I released the lead, I didn't feel like that. I, I felt that the world wasn't a terribly great place. But, you know, I, they would just run for the sheer joy of running and that would put a smile on my face. And I remember in some of the darkest moments, taking them to a, a beach and, and, and let, letting them run in a completely deserted beach. And, you know, you know dogs, they, they have a way of running, which is smiling. And, and, and they just cantered over their sand. And, and it, for that moment, you know, it completely it was so completely uplifting that it probably saved my life. You know, I just sort of thought, wow, look at that. They would just make me laugh out loud at nothing, like a child laughs at nothing. They would make me laugh at nothing because they were just so happy. That's a very powerful reward to have for an investment that you make in, in another species of, of animal. And it's one that, you, yes, you can get that. Of course, you can get that from human relationships, but not on demand always. And yet on demand, itch and scratch brought me absolutely unparalleled joy. And you brought them unparalleled joy. I did. I, I, I did everything I could for them. I shouted at Itchy once um, when he had completely muddied the back of my car on a very, <laughs> very wet morning. But, you know, oh God, we, we all did, you know, Charlotte, my partner, Megan, my stepdaughter, and myself, we were totally devoted to, to, the, to those those dogs and now we've got Sid and Nancy and it's beginning to go out you know and of course it's there we 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 love them the interesting thing is that when I lost scratch Charlotte and Megan were very keen to immediately get um, some relatives as it turned out of itch and scratch that and, and 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 very coincidentally as he was being euthanized here in the new forest they were being born at exactly the same time and they were relatives it was almost sort of cast in the stars. It, do you know what? Obviously, I, you know, the minute I got them, it was great. And, but it took me until lockdown this year when they were a year old, you know, and I was lying in bed one morning and they were jumping around on the bed like they do. And, and I finally realized that I, it had taken a year for me to manifest anywhere near the amount of love that I had for Itchy and Scratchy. So... That was great. That was a really good morning. And, you know, good morning. I sort of thought, you know, it's taken a year and I've found that part of myself, which 
I know I'm secure, just securely giving to these other two, two animals, you know. What's interesting in terms of the love for dogs and how much you know dogs, it was brought into sharp relief for me the other day because I have Maxwell, who's 12 and a half, a Labrador retriever, who I, I, I would throw myself under a bus for him. Of that, there's no doubt. But I've also got two West Highland Terriers, a mother and a daughter, who are incredible. They're such characters and such intelligent dogs. And we, we dog sat their sister, who's a, their sister's with a, a, Maisie, the daughter, her sister's with a friend of ours. And we looked after her last week, so there were the three of them. And I noticed from my interactions with Lily, the sister, who came into the house, I noticed how incredibly rich my interactions with Misty and Maisie are and how much we understand each other and how much I understand the little nuances and the little movements and the little looks. Uh, because I, I didn't have that with, with Lily at all. And you, you kind of expect that you will, and I didn't. Yeah, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. I, I, I sometimes feel guilty, actually, where other people are very enthusiastic about their, their dogs, as we are. And then when you get to meet their dog, they don't make, they don't make the grade. They, they don't meet their sort of expectation. You know, it's like the, it's the, it's the film that you've been described as being totally brilliant because it's won all the Oscars. But when you watch it, it doesn't quite tick your box. And it's, it can be like that with their dogs. They, they show you, you've seen all the pictures on their mobile phone, you've heard all of the stories and you finally meet the dog. And, and as you say, yes, you might like it because we like dogs. We like being in that type of animal's company, but it, it lacks that, that, that point of, of, of total connection. And like you say, it is that subtle nuances. You know, you can tell, you know, you know I can tell whether my, from their smell whether my dog's been sleeping or not. You know, and, 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 and then you can tell what they're barking at by their bark. I mean, I think, you know, our foxes have, how, how, many, how, many, um, how many calls did you tell me that our foxes make? 20, 28. So, so red foxes have 28 different identified vocalizations. But, you know, and, and, we, and we naturalists would know quite a few of those. Um, I, I confess to not knowing all of them. I've got to say, I couldn't, I couldn't rack up a list of 28. But when it comes to the yaps, and the whines and the barks of my dogs. I know exactly what they're doing and who's doing it and why. And, and, and that is a very effective form of personal communication. Private language in a sense, isn't it, between you and them? It is. And again, that makes it so intensely personal and so therefore intensely special. With Itch and Scratch, we were like a trinity. Um, you know, we were stronger together. We were happier together. You know, we were more functional when we were together. Um, and I lived in a partnership with them. I shared my space, my bed, my food, my time, plenty of my money, um, and, you know, and, and an enormous commitment. And it did work as a perfectly balanced trinity because everything I gave, they gave back and coincidentally between each other. So, I mean, that's so special. And when it's totally reliable, when it's 100% cast iron reliable, unlike most human relationships, then surely it, it, it can't be beaten. Itch died first, right? And then Scratch. So how did Scratch handle his brother? They were brothers, weren't they? Go yeah, there were two brothers. Um, I mean, it was just agony watching it, really. Um, we, we'd always feared the problem with two is that unless there's a terrible accident, then one's going to go before the other. And 
we'd all spent quite a lot of time thinking about how we were going to deal with that. Um, he was never left on his own ever again. He was always in human company. Not for a minute after it went, did he, was he not with someone? We never ever left him again. So we, took, we went through lots of practical things to, to, to make sure he was settled. Um, but the, the, there were two sad things. The first morning that I took him out into the woods on the route that we walked every day, he just kept stopping and looking over his shoulder. Uh, and he would just sit and, and wait for his brother. And that was you know, desperately sad. But what was actually even more sad is when he stopped doing it, you know, because I don't think you ever get over these things. You know, you, 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 you just remember less often. You don't ever forget, you remember less often any of those sorts of tragic losses. And it got to that point where he would remember less often and he would come for a walk and he would only occasionally look back or look for his brother. And that was, mm. you know, because I never stopped looking back, <laughs> looking back, but he did. So that was, that was really, that was miserable. Um, he, we always imagined that he'd been the, the underdog. He wasn't the dominant of the two. So we always thought that he might see that as an opportunity to get, you know, first on the bed, first with the food, all those sorts of things. But it didn't, it didn't manifest that way. But we still had a brilliant time with him. He developed um, uh, cataracts. He'd had them for some time. He kept taking them to the vets and they said, well, he's got them, but they're not bad enough yet. He can still see well and we don't want to operate on them. Well, anyway, in the end, they escalated quite badly and we took him to a, a specialist, um, a, a great friend of um, Charlotte's, and they did the cataract operation. I mean, you know, when he came out and he could see again, he was uh, 15 at that point, and he came out and it was like he was a 15-month-old puppy. And that was an extraordinary morning. And then we'd take him out to the woods, and, and, and all the time that he'd been sticking much closer and, and he'd been a bit cautious and guarded because of his failing eyesight, that went. And so although he only had that ability to see again for a few months, um, I can't tell you how much you know, joy that gave me. That, that made me incredibly happy. One of the family. How many dogs have you had in your life then? So we started with Max, the black miniature poodle. Um, and he lived till 15, got him in 1980. Uh, it was a surprise. My mother went out one Sunday afternoon and um, we were, I'd gone around to my parents' house. I was sat there with my sister and she came in and put this small black fluffy thing on the carpet. And we all sort of looked at one another and thought, my goodness me. Um, and he, at that point, we were as close to a dysfunctional family as we could be. Um, I, you know, I was doing punk rock. My sister was investing all of her time in her, you know, growing uh, fashion designing skills. Um, like we, we, we were always very sort of didactic about our politics and outspoken. I'm quite confrontational. Uh, my father isn't. There were all sorts of interesting human relationships going on. But suffice to say that our our dinner times, because I would continue to go back there for Sunday dinners whenever it was you know, I could, were lively affairs. Um, and there were periods of time when we didn't speak to one another, but we still saw one another. But Max was a unifying force. He, he was like a 
super glue, you know, because if we didn't have you know, much to share in, in terms of our opinions about Mrs. Thatcher, we all loved that dog so much that we had commonality there that would always draw us together. So we could have a flaming row about politics or world news, but by the time it got to dessert, we were all you know, happily telling Max anecdotes from, from that week. And, um, and he lived till he was um, 15. And, and then there was a gap for a while because losing Max was quite a blow. And then I got uh, another black miniature poodle uh, called Fish. And um, very sadly, he was run over just after his first birthday. And um, he died in my arms. And Megan and I took him into the garden. And, um, and that led to a, a very uh, bad and bleak part of my life. The, the shock of it and, and the way that it happened. Um, and the bond that we'd already formed. He was, we were already incredibly close, Fish and I, even after that year. And I think that having waited all that time after Max, you know, to, to make that investment, um, somehow sort of found the courage to think, you know, I'll do it again. To be robbed of it instantaneously after just a year was inordinately painful and incredibly destructive. Um, mm. uh, so then time went on and um, we got uh, itch, and, itch and Scratch. And um, Itch and Scratch were just legends. <laughs> you know, the thing about all of our dogs is that, you know, all the people that I've lived with, they've all been as passionate about them as I have. You know, I said Megs and Charlotte loved Itch and Scratch, of, you know. And, um, and now we, we just, they're so much part and parcel of our life. They're, they're so tattooed into all of our memories that, you know, it's, it's a bonding thing for the humans. You know, there's no question of that. We'll always be unified in that love that we had for those dogs. It doesn't matter what happens. So that, that again, was a, is a, I, think that, I think people forget that when, when they think about, you know, human-dog relationships. It's, 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 it, it's, it spins out from there, you know. And now, of course, we've got Sid and Nat, Nat, Nancy, black miniature poodles. Um, and um, they're, they're full of beans. Nancy is, uh, you know, has become very well-behaved. Sid is, Sid is a rogue. Um, he's um, self-employed at the moment. He does seem to do, want to do his own thing. So some more training investment needs to take place. I mean, we've never overtrained them. We've always just wanted them to be safe. And obviously in the wake of what happened to Fish, then um, with Itch and Scratch and Sid and Nancy, we're very, very strict on, you know, getting in and out of the car, not going through a gate, not going out of a door. Nancy's coming on fine. Sid's got a few of his own ideas at the moment that we need to be, that we need to reason with. Some astonishing stuff coming up from Chris. You can watch this podcast on the One of the Family YouTube channel and see some glorious, beautiful pictures of Itchy and Scratchy and Sid and Nancy. One of the Family. So Isla. When you and your sisters are screaming at each other, you know those fights where yeah. it's ear splitting? Yes, happens quite often. But then Maxwell's there as a conciliator, isn't he? He's, a, he's the gel. Maxwell's there and very often... He's, he's there for the post-argument cool-off as well, <laughs> yes. which is nice. <laughs> you stroke him, you calm down, you reflect yeah. on what you've said, what you shouldn't have said. 
Um, so he's good in that way. He's also good. He can sense if you're sad. So empathetic. And he knows he's helping, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, of course, he does. And he, he smiles as well, and that helps. You know, his smile, or his, like, grunt, of just, or his, his friendship, um, <laughs> when he goes like that. His groan of ecstasy. Yeah. Let's hear that groan of ecstasy. I'm not... Well, you want me to... You want me to... No, no, no. no. <laughs> I'll play it. Maxwell's groan of ecstasy. That thing about them being a gel in the family, I completely get that. It's those big brown Labrador eyes and all the love in him and all the love we have for him. And he, he is a conciliator, you know, he's a diplomat, he's a mediator, he's, uh, um, he's all those things and more. So I understand completely what you mean. And my reliance on him actually is at its most intense when I spend a lot of time away. And if I see something on social media, some cruelty to animals i mean you see some terrible things and it's it's very difficult to to carry on with your day i mean i i it haunts me i get haunted and when i was something to an elephant or a great ape some cruelty some monstrous thing visited on them and um and i get home and it's almost like max was saying everything's okay because he's an animal and i come i i can i'm then in touch with an animal i'm in touch with my animal and just the smell of his ears gives me that endorphin rush and being with him and he comes to me and it, somehow he's, he's my psychiatrist and social worker as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we both expose ourselves to those sorts of cruelty on a constant basis because we campaign on behalf of those voiceless species. Um, and, and it's tough. And I, and I think, you know, people say, you know, people who are exposed to all sorts of horrors, when you question them about it, they say, oh, you just get used to it. But you, you don't. There's always one little thing that's going to trip you up. And I can go for long periods of time looking at those things on social media and then I just see one thing and it's just a leveller. You know, mm. it's like you've been shot yourself. You know, I saw one last year. It was an elephant, actually. It was a piece of... Um, piece of social media with an elephant being shot it was and 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 after everything that happened through the course of the year all the campaigning all the dead birds that i picked up all the dead things that have been tied to my gate all the intimidation all of the frustration of not making rapid progress with our campaigns i, I just watched that that 20 second clip and it was it, it was you know just paralyzed me completely you know, I can still see it now. It just runs in my mind. Unfortunately, memories are like gifts, aren't they? They just run in your mind. I'm never, ever going to escape that image now. I'm going to carry that. In a way, it fuels my determination. So it's, it's probably a good thing that I saw it. You know, it's probably a good thing that I have to constantly reconcile the pain that it causes me because that pain is motivating. You know, it, it strengthens my desire to right those wrongs. But you're right. You need therapy and, 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 Itch and Scratch and, and now Sid and Nancy are, are, are that therapy. And I think also, I know what it's like for you, but, you know, when, when finally it gets to 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning and you, you get up, you go to bed, you lie down, and it's that time when you're maybe winding down. I listen to podcasts and, and eat a bit of chocolate and the dogs get on the bed and, and, and things sort of slow down. And it, for me, it is a moment of comfort and, and relaxation. Um, and to have them alongside you, almost part of you, because they're pressed up against you, because we live in a really cold house and they're constantly squeezing you to, you know, into some improbable yoga position to, so that they are warm and you're contorted. Um, again, that's it's, it's just being there at that time, 
you know. And that's what happened that morning when, you know, I realized I'd fallen in love with Sid and Nancy. Is, is they were on the bed and it was that moment of waking up and they were there. And I realized that actually they had become that part of my life, which Hitch and Scratch had previously been, you know, playing. I saw that elephant video as well. Um, and it is overwhelming and enveloping. I'm, I've, I'm sure it's the same one. Was it a couple of hunters? And does one of them sort of go, yeah, or, uh, yeah. yeah. And then turns around and laughs. What a worthless piece of shit. <sighs> I can't, I mean, you can. admire you guys so much because you're relentless at it. I'm a part-timer, I dabble, but you're on the front line. You and people like Will Travers and, and, and Dom Dyer, and, uh, you know, you, you, you're encountering that stuff all the time. You're, it's a wall. You've got to find a wall of objectivity, haven't you? And it's, it's sometimes tough to find that. It is tough to find that. I mean, I, I always give myself calming moments. You know, I don't, I try not to be reactive because I need to be rational and, and it's hard to be rational when you've just watched someone kill an elephant, turn around and laugh about it. And what I'll do is I'll just, you know, I'll just give it time. So I get past that instant surge of, of confusion, anger, you know, um, hatred, you know, I need all of that to calm down and then I can put together my side of the argument in a way which will be appropriate you know I, you know I, the key thing is we've got to win we've got to stop it we've got to do everything in our lifetimes you know to 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 move in that direction and if we can't stop these things in our lifetimes we have to build a platform for other people to take on that mantle so that we are making progress and they can stand on our shoulders and others will stand on theirs and in the end it will finish we will end it I don't get how some of us get it. Animals, well, dogs specifically for this, and animals, and some of us feel the empathy, empathy and see the connection. And some people just don't at all. I don't understand that. I don't, I don't see how you can't. I know exactly where you're coming from. I, I was recently shown some um, footage by... Um, animal rights campaigners who are fighting against the fur trade, which is something I'm really keen to help with. I, there's, there's only a couple of things I really powerfully dislike. I won't say I hate them because I haven't got time to hate anything. I think it's a very destructive emotion, but I powerfully dislike fox hunting and the fur trade. And, and I've looked at lots of you know, animals being abused on behalf of that fur trade, but I'd never seen anything like the footage that they showed me. The shocking thing, wasn't the piles of carcasses it wasn't the pain and suffering that the animals were in unfortunately i've seen i've seen a lot of that it was the people doing it with absolutely no conscience whatsoever i mean i looked at people who were effectively skinning animals alive and i could see their faces you know and and, and i i just couldn't countenance how they could do that and then presumably go home, cook themselves a meal, do the homework with their kids. I mean, it just doesn't compute. At what point in their development did things go wrong? You know, did they, did they slip outside that part of their consciousness where having any degree 
of of you know humanity vanished. It is, it is as you say, so so difficult to to understand. And 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 watching it was horrific. But what scared me wasn't the pain, the suffering, the statistics, the vast numbers. Those are all things which we must campaign forcefully against. What scared me is precisely what you said. I didn't understand what would motivate those people to, to do those things. They were inhuman as far as I was concerned. It, they, they were all, all too human. It's a terrible facet of our makeup, of, of humanity, that we are capable of that. We are capable of completely dissociating ourselves that mentality that uh, ability or maybe inability has led to and this is no exaggeration has led to the most heinous of crimes that ability to to cut ourselves off from brutality and, and from savagery and and to do it with do it with impunity and neutrality emotional neutrality it's terribly dangerous it is and um, um, and obviously in our lifetimes given the ages of our, our our parents you know we were brought up in the shadow of the specter of the second world war where nazism manifest all of those things and there will be some people who will hear this and say oh don't be ridiculous how can you equate that with that well we're talking about the the mental ability the mental contortion that is possible to do it it's exactly the same thing manifesting itself in both cases one of the family who was good about it chris parkham yeah what do you think about what he said powerful everyone my age sees videos all the time on social media about all the horrible fair trade so like it's just it's just disgusting isn't it so it's unthinkable think... why would you ever mm -hmm. wear that for fashion like, it's just so awful what about those instagram icons and those slabs who wear it i don't think any instagram icons would be allowed to wear fur because the hate they receive would be too heavy i mean i could be wrong but like maybe kim kardashian etc etc do but i don't personally engage in such foolery <laughs> because i hate the kardashians they're everything that is wrong with the world i think dogs are important in, and cats pets are important in the sense that i think people People who get dogs and have dogs and fall in love with dogs start to understand the importance of animals in general. I think they're a gateway. They're a gateway <laughs> drug. They're a gateway dog to people actually thinking, ah, we're, you know, this is not all about us. Yeah, that should be the case. And it should be certainly the case with young people. And again, you know, you wonder what happens when you see these, you know, images, people, you know, gang of youths kicking a hedgehog to death or something. What have they been missing? Did they not cup a hamster in the palm of their hands and look at its bright little black beady eyes, its twitching whiskers? Did they not nuzzle up to the, the, the nape of a, a pet rabbit? You know, they didn't probably have that opportunity to engage and, 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 and take those formative and very powerful connections with, with animals, with nature. You know, and, and, and that's why you're right. It is, it is. A, a, it's a respect for other life, isn't it, really? A fundamental respect for other life. And from it should grow an understanding of our coexistence, necessary coexistence with other life, sometimes even a dependency on that other life. But certainly, uh, you know, the, the, a fully formed idea that this planet isn't about us. We are not independent from, from nature and all of those other animals and plants and fungi. We are intrinsically linked with it. Um, and that's the point we need to get to. And now, 
in a, in a time of exceptional crisis, we have the most unexceptional band of politicians globally that we could have possibly imagined. You know, we've exposed ourselves, um, and you know, by by electing all of these inadequate people, and 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 it's it's going to leave us in deep trouble. And at the moment, of course, for the last X months, understandably. We've been addressing the COVID issue. It's been dominating our conversations, our thoughts. We've been struggling to manage it, to understand it scientifically and medically. And let's face it, we've not been talking about the climate. And yet we know, we all know, even if we don't want to hear it, that that represents a significantly more dangerous um, threat to humanity and the planet than COVID-19. COVID-19 is sadly, tragically, is going to kill millions of people. If we don't address the climate and do so very rapidly, according to our scientists, i.e. within 10 years, it will kill billions of people. Do you believe that the way, do you believe the way your mind works and the way you see the world with, uh, with, with autism gives you or helps you in this focus and helps you in this determination? Yeah, and I think it does, because I think one of the traits is that, you know, people like myself have a, 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 a very raw dislike for injustice we don't like people getting away with things we don't like lying that that really really upsets us uh, we are compelled to tell the truth as we know and understand it at that point in time there is no point in holding back from the truth and that's probably why we expose ourselves sometimes by saying things that you know you shouldn't say well if they're the truth i think we should say them the truth should out um, so we don't bite our tongues um, and this allows us to be quite forthright and, you know, and, and, and maybe didactic in, in, in the way that we communicate. But we do so with great good intention. And, and also we, we, we can only do so with 100% conviction. As I always say to people, you know, if you want your floor swept, I'm your man. Because I will, I will do it in a way which I will discover to be the most efficient um, and effective. And, and, and when you come back, there won't be a little bit of dust in the corner because that means your floor won't have been swept. So we, when we approach a job, we mean to do it properly. And therefore, we don't give in or, or, and we don't like to compromise because that isn't getting the job done properly. So I think in a, in a sort of an activist or ambassadorial role, people with that sort of mental outlook can be quite useful. We're, we're like the vanguard, you know, we're the you know, so-called extremist. We'll go in and say it how it is so that the more diplomatic fraternity behind us will have an easier ride and, 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 and maybe not be seen as extremist. And then the, you know, the truth that they sue for, which can be positive, um, will be easier, more easily found and established because, if you like, we've broken down all the walls. Um, the downside is, of course, that we get all the flack. <laughs> and I'm 59 years old, and I and I and, and I've calculated and and counted the losses that that I've presided over in my lifetime, and I, and I have to say that you know. If you judge me as a conservationist, our generation as conservationists, it's been a colossal failure. You know, we, we've got all of the data. We know what we've allowed to happen. 
And now at 59, I'm in a race to try and do as much as I possibly can, as quickly as I can, as effectively as I can, to try and redress some of those losses. And you'll be doing this to your last breath, will you? Yeah, obviously I've no choice, absolutely no choice. Um, It's, yeah, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what I'll be doing, but you know, there are so many, as you know, there's so many causes out there, but I mean, I sleep as little as possible. I work as hard as I can and, and I try to learn as much as I can and improve all the time, you know, my methodology. Because for me, winning is never going to be about crossing a line and getting a cup. Winning is simply never giving up. And so I'm never going to give up. Rest assured. And where would we be without dogs? Yeah, where would we be without dogs? Well... This morning I was out in the woods, you know, and they were there and it's sunny and it was quite hot. So the pace of the walk was a little bit slower than it can be. And uh, it was, it was, it's really quiet at this time of year. Most of the birds have stopped singing, of course, in August. And um, the colours have all changed. But we are walking through that dappled light, you know, where their black pout goes grey to brilliant white. And then I sat down at a certain point and they came up and sat alongside me and their tongue was so brilliant candy pink against their ivory white teeth. They look so young at the moment, you know, Sid and Nancy. And uh, we were in the middle of nowhere, there was no one else there and the three of us were happy. Can't beat that. The extraordinary Chris Packham, dog lover and naturalist. Force of nature, force for nature. Thanks for listening to One of the Family. I'm going to leave you with the words of another huge dog lover and naturalist, Charles Darwin. There is grandeur in this view of life. With its several powers, having been originally breathed by the Creator into a few forms or into one, and that whilst this planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravity, from so simple a beginning, endless forms most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved.